Anyone's Game podcast. Following women's football. So, first of all, Grant, we do this with every guest. Where do you come from originally? So, I'm an Edinburgh lad. Basically, been there my whole kind of growing up life. Strange as it would have it, I, I moved up to Perth in my 20s for work. Um, stayed here for 10 years. My son was born in Perth. Um, my daughter was born in Edinburgh. But after 10 years work up here, uh, my job at the time took me back down the road. So, I, I'm, I'm an Edinburgh boy and still there. Growing up in Edinburgh, were you heads or hearts or, or none of the above? Uh, do you know what? I was probably quite a late starter in football, wasn't I? A massive fan when I was much, much younger. But I became aware of football in the successful Aberdeen era. So I had a wee soft spot for them. Always did watch like watching the, the, the Cup Winners Cup game and stuff. But I, I couldn't go and see Aberdeen regularly. So I ended up um, going to Hearts with, with my, my old man. So yeah, they were my team for... A long time, and obviously I still have that affinity, but I now have a, a little connection with Hibs, having spent some time there as a coach. So it's a kind of odd one. So I'm not one of them normal, stereotypical Hearts or Hibs fans. I've got a bit of empathy for both, but Hearts would always be my team. I've, I've been and see them play more often than than anyone else. So what's your sort of greatest memory as a Hearts fan? Like one game that sort of sticks out from your younger days? Do you know, I probably wasn't as young, probably a teenager by that point, but back when they were a wee bit more successful and, and used to get into Europe, we went on a, actually come up and, you know, you get your memories and things pop up these days. Um, going to Bordeaux where my old man and my brother, um, I think we just did a one day job, you know, you could fly over um, and come back on the same day, but we had, because the matches are at night, you had the full day. Uh, roaming about and and uh, just you know landing in another country as a young man thinking you know it's full of hearts fans what's going on it just you know it seems so strange at the time but obviously I've done you know Scotland games and, and other hearts games now and, and been away with my own teams and stuff so it's uh, I, I but that was probably my winning the game at that point which you know hearts at that time were massive underdogs you know very very small club and Bordeaux were you know without being a, a massive giant in Europe were, were still a, a, a glamour tie for us back then so to go over there and have a good day and win uh, it's quite an experience uh, a few shandies in the sun <laughs> one, or, one or two uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you mentioned there being a late starter into football I mean how did you get into football originally and how did you get into management I mean a, a standard pathway when I was a young boy you know, playing playing at school and, and club underage football and I kind of in and out the game a wee bit back then just because, I, I don't know, probably wasn't that, that great a player at the time and until maybe my late teens. And then I just progressed, played away, played for some good amateur sides and East of Scotland sides that were the old East of Scotland, probably what's like a lowland league now, where you had a lot of experienced players and ex-pros and, and retiring pros and like that. And when I moved up to Perthshire, ended up playing in the junior leagues up here, so you know, managed managed to get away with playing as junior for a few years, and and when we moved back to Edinburgh, I was I think I was thirty five, and I joined the junior side in there, Musselburgh the Athletic, played a couple of cup ties for them, but one of them was away, and it was I had two young kids at the time, and my wife worked on a Saturday, so of course the way trip you're away early doors, bit of lunch, bookies, game down the roads. I think we stopped at every social club on the way down. <laughs> you know, probably a twelve hour shift later, um, going to collect my kids. I thought, do you know what? This is it. Didn't feel 
feel right and I thought the minute it didn't I would stop so yeah I just I just stopped playing for no other reason than it was a two time committal I'd bought a business at that stage in my life and I, I just I just that was it for me and and then a few years later my daughter started to play so I just became a, a, a dad that took his kids to football and of course somebody I think one of the coaches you know volunteers at that e- e- these age groups under 11s and 12s and whatever somebody dropped out couldn't commit so uh, yeah just loads of fingers pointed and went you can do it <laughs> <laughs> so I jumped in for a fortnight to, to help them out and, and here we are some whatever many years later 13 14 years later still doing it that's brilliant <laughs> and does the daughter still play football she doesn't actually know um, I, I, I think uh, probably like a lot of folk her, her life's taken over a little bit and she back at uni she has a job homeowner you know so priorities for her she'd be the first to admit she probably wasn't a, a top level player probably like myself um, so I think priorities for her changed What would you say your greatest achievement in the game so far is? Do you know uh, I'm, I'm really fortunate guys to uh, I've had so many it's very difficult to pick one out obviously getting to the top end of the women's game in Scotland and as you both know at, at teams like Hibs and, and Glasgow City I think probably the European football is you know domestically I've won trophies and those are absolutely highlights for me but I think the taking the two clubs into the, the last 32 knockouts um, Hibs and City respectively in different formats as well you know to kind of put, put your team out and, and prepare them and analyse opponents that you're not facing two or three or four times a, a season is a real challenge as a coach you know you you Obviously, you have that belief in what your team can do, and you don't often deviate too much from that. But I guess when you're, you know, you're not playing Celtic or Rangers or or, or Hibs or City or Spartans or whoever for the the third or fourth time, and yet and it's all a bit predictable, you kind of know. You could almost, I could almost pick every other team uh, line up, uh, you know, in the league. So you're going into the real unknown players you don't know, you know, maybe systems you don't know. You have to really do your research and work yourself. And and then when you get the success of, you know, so being the first manager to take Hibs out of the qualifying groups, for example, in the in the old format and into the last 32, they'd been in the 32s before, but uh, I think had got there um, automatically. So. So coming through a, a, a groups group section where we were away from home for nine ten days, which has its own dynamic when you're managing the group and, and, and the players and staff are all committing to that. So that was really rewarding. And then last at the start of last season with, with Glasgow City in the new format, you know, having the kind of semi final draw knockout final to get into the, the 32 um, we had a tough opponent and uh, I'm pretty sure the game is on a Saturday night or Friday night if I remember correctly but uh, when we played Shim Kent and they put City out on aggregate or, or away goals or something uh, uh, you know three four years earlier they were a big physical capable side and I thought that night we prepared the team m- myself and the, the staff I have to say massive support at City from uh, from from the coaches that were there but we prepared the team really well for, for, for what was a really difficult challenge and to, to beat them 1-0 and, and get through I it was was probably my next highlight I think so those those two are probably comparable Well you know that's amazing obviously we were looking back at obviously the, the season you had with Hibs we only lost one domestic match and obviously won the two cups I mean that must have been some season for you Yeah I mean that obviously that was a massive season and that was my first season that I took over uh, the side and my first kind of I'd been a head coach before but first time at, uh, you know in the, in the top league and I think the fact that season doesn't get spoken about is how competitive we were and against a really really good Glasgow City team uh, I don't think that in some 
ways. I'm glad you brought it up, but in some ways, I don't think the Hibs girls got the credit they deserved that season. And it was almost written, you know, it was almost kind of a given that we were going to win the cups and City would beat us in the league. But uh, I think if you even go back to the the kind of game that we lost on playing City, uh, and I, I think it was the second last game of the season, you know, the timing of how we lost the second goal and 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 the the, the where the play came from, it was almost direct from a centre and, and players running off and and. and the whole thing was honestly that unbelievable at the, at the time that uh, it probably put a dampener on that season for us, if I'm honest, despite going on to win the cup. But because I think the players as a group and myself know that that was probably our opportunity to do it. Um, and we yeah. let ourselves down in that last, well, as I say, next to last game. But we, we banked on ourselves to win the last one and thought City would as well. So it was a kind of uh, winner takes all in that second last game. And we knew we knew we had the side to do it, but City prevailed. And I think they prevailed because of their experience more than anything else. So, yeah, I, I, we, don't get me wrong, enjoyed winning the cup a couple of weeks later. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But I think we all knew that we really wanted the other one. <laughs> so, it's bittersweet. Um, I, it, it was a little bit, Robbie, it was. Last but not least, Grant, that the million dollar question give us your five aside team of players you've managed well scratching the head over this one because as you as you know uh, managing those squads there's there's about 40 players that I'm having to leave out here so <laughs> if we could have a big percent, <laughs> 100% apologies to those that are left out but I think if I was to reel off a five and try and balance out our, our defenders midfield and attacking players I think I would go probably Lee and goals Lee Alexander and goals Siobhan Hunter at the back, Shannon McGregor in midfield, Chinchilla beside her with Kirsty Howitt as our goal scorer. Tell you, I, I could name about 20 teams, I think, with some of the girls that I've, I've uh, worked with, leaving the international players. And, you know, I had Lizzie Arnott scribbled in there, Hayley Lauder, like when you're leaving girls like that out, oh my goodness, what a team you could have. Joel Murray, you know, they're all in there. Aye, so there's a lot I need to say sorry to. Got the crucial World Cup qualifying at train on Friday in Poland. Last time out, it was a really tight game. We just about saved ourselves. One all draw at Hamden. A late, late goal from Abby Harrison. Grant, is this the second in the group? We can't obviously qualify automatically now with the 2 0 defeat to Spain last time out, but is this a must win game for Scotland? I think uh, I think it's a it's definitely a mustn't lose game. I have a feeling that a point might be enough for us. Um, I think it's a tough fixture, a tough venue, you know, neutral or otherwise, it's still, you know, you're taking your squad away, there's all, you know, all the, all the problems that could go on with your travel, your diet, your rest, everything when you're away. So there's, all, there's always issues. I think it's a winnable game, and I think if we win it, that should almost clinch us to qualifying, uh, the, the playoff spot. But I'm not quite sure on the mathematics of, of how they define who obtains one of the, you know, the, the, the playoff spots available. So I think to look to get the three points, you're almost, you sh- no disrespect, but you should almost be guaranteed another three points in our last game against the Pharaohs. So it would give us a decent points total. But yeah, it, it, it's, um, I think we can still make it um, as long as we don't lose because then I think the other teams can't catch us. Having had a look at their remaining games, the, the potential points they could accumulate, I think our nearest uh, rivals in the league, Ukraine and Hungary, both have Spain to play again. So you know, you're almost given that as a no points um, match for them. So yeah, but I, I think, I don't think it's must win. I think it's don't lose, but I think we have a really good chance of winning if we get it right on night. Obviously in this camp, Pedro Martinez-Losa has called up Kelly Clark and Lisa Robertson 
in place of Hibernian's Leah Eddy and AC Milan forward Christy Grimshaw, who is still short of fitness after returning from injury. Is there anyone else? You mentioned Hayley Lauders, players like you could have got on your five-a-side team. Is there anyone else that you think maybe should be in the squad that isn't? I mean, I think I think you've got. I'm, I'm not quite sure where um, Rachel McLaughlin's state of fitness is either. Obviously, she didn't finish the last few months of the season, so I'm, I'm assuming she's not quite ready. Um, Rachel Boyle is the obvious one for me, but you know, you know, we all know her reasons. There's definitely no way she could play. So, I I think I don't I don't see any natural omissions. If I'm honest, I think it's as good as we could have gone with um, the the squad that's been selected. Yeah, definitely. And- Christopher Meikle asked on Twitter, it kind of links into this, this is more looking at young players and you as a coach who probably watched the league and watched a lot of football. Who would you say is the next exciting upcoming player that's got to break into the Scottish women's national team side? I mean, I think uh, she's been mentioned. I know she hasn't had a lot of game time, but I think Leah Eddy is one that if she maintains her level of fitness, you know, I described her when she came to Hibs. We, we, I'd been keen on her for a while. Um, and when we eventually got her to sign, the first few performances she put in for me, I, I thought I described her as a Rolls Royce. You know, she just smooth, elegant across the ground, really composed, deliver passes for fun. You know, she's got all the, you know, the physical side that you would want from a, a, a defender, capable of tackling, good in the air. So, so but, you know, she's on the radar. I think, you know, I'm not quite sure how Jamie Lee's form's been. I, I thought at one stage she would go on to do better things and, and she just might need another year or two of playing before she's um, ready for a look. But even younger than that, you've got, I still think Jenna Clark, she's in the squads now. She's going to be there for a very, very long time. She's a most really, really underrated centre-back, I feel, that we've got. Yeah, but much younger. I, I, Amy Muir's still got a chance, I think, if she gets regular football. I think she's been you know, in and out of the Hibs side for, for a year, 18 months, with various injuries and stuff. But another one that probably needs to start playing regular, prove her fitness before she gets another look. So yeah, that, that th- those are the, the key ones for me. And that, that would give you a, a decent core. Um, again, if you're looking at your, the spines of your team, the spines of your, co- your squads, they're, they're probably the best ones to yet to show themselves properly at the, at the national team. Amy's got every attribute, I believe, to be a top player. And again, probably like Aliyah Eddie, she's got the physical capabilities, I think, to be even better than she is. I would put the two of them in that same bracket. Covers the ground effortlessly. I think probably just pinning down a position, if she can hold a position. I know, certainly in my time at Hibs, we, we, we tried her in a couple of different ones. Over the years, you know, she played a lot at the back for Rangers back in the day, but then played in midfield area for the under-19s, where I think she captained the side in the last tournament. So I, I think defining a role and a position for her and her playing every week, you'll you'll start to see her come back to the fore. Um, I think that's all that's been missing the last the last probably 18 months, couple of years maybe. Another question from Twitter. John Bleasdale asks, looking at this current Scotland squad with McLaughlin and Boyle out, who does play right back slash right wing back against Ukraine? <laughs> Tricky one. Put me on the spot, John. Um, I, 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 for me, it would be Chloe Arthur. I think she's got enough experience having played in there previously. I, I'm, I'm not convinced it's her best position, but I think she can she can certainly do it. You know, I think for me, Nick Dock makes is the obvious one on the left. I'm just looking at the list here as well, I know Lisa Evans could do that job. 
but I'm a bit old-fashioned that way. I, you know, for me, at least, as an attacking wide player, and I would just play her there unless he's going to play with with, with a, a three at the back system, which obviously I can't. I, you know, I wouldn't be sure of that if he if he did do that. And I know he's done it in a couple of the matches, probably more so to trial things. She could certainly do the wing back role, Lisa. But for me, you're always better with someone that knows the job in there rather than trying to convert. Uh, always try to convert a, a maybe a more attacking-minded player into a, a fullback. Gordon McComb, another anyone's game contributor. He's something that's been a bit critical of Martinez Loza so far, and how he's also struggled. We relied on late goals, or it was a bit of luck. We still the same problem we had on Shelly Kerr. We're not scoring enough goals. Like how? Two questions. How do we solve that? Because on paper we've got great attacking talents, and two. How would you sum up his tenure so far? Yeah, I think it's been a mixed bag. I totally agree with, with Gordon there. I think, you know, like when any there's any change of manager, he, I'm sure, had his own vision and his own wants from coming into the job and whether that be a definitive style of play, whether that's, you know, he's, he, he maybe he wants more flexible options um, in the group, you know, only he will know. But I think, you know, he's done quite a lot of tinkering and quite a lot of changes of system here and there um, and personnel. Now, that's obviously sometimes forced on him and, and I totally uh, accept that point. But I have a vision of how football should be played, as I'm sure we all do. And all of us present and listening <laughs> will, I'm sure, have a different opinion on it. For me, if you want to score goals, you've got to get your attackers on the pitch and you've got to get them high up the pitch. I don't think it's that clever. Now, certainly, you need to protect when you're playing against, you know, quality opposition. I don't think you can just go gung-ho. But I think too often as a nation, now, Pedro's working for this nation at present and he probably feels it from his employers and or players or, or, or commentators around. I think we tend to be a little bit, I don't want to say negative, but let's say protective of, let's try not to lose and if we steal one or... If we're behind, we'll, we'll, we'll change it in the last 15 minutes. You know, we, and, and you could mirror that in every single football match in this country that you watch, bar the odd team and the odd squad or management team that go, do you know what, this is how we play and we're just going to try and win every single match. But, you know, as I say, that's tempered with understanding that, you know, you can't do that in every game. And, you know, I've already said this is a game we'd probably be best not to lose. So... Maybe maybe that's co- totally contradictory, but I think there's a way of doing that within still, if we want to go forward, go forward and let's not have players isolated up top. Let's get the support to them and have all good attacking options round about your, your striking areas. Yeah. So if you were taking charge of this game, Grant, would you, would you be going for it? Hundred percent. I think if we, I think if we get in, and again, it <laughs> sounds a bit disrespectful. No disrespect intended. However, this is football. I think if we go in about our business sharp early front foot in this game and could get our noses in front I think we win the game comfortably my fear is that we go in with a tentative right let's just settle ourselves into the game see how it goes we'll try and play these lovely patterns we'll keep possession we'll, but then we play everything in front of their back line I think we have to put them under severe pressure early in the game and really go for it and try and win the game early because with all the emotion and stress physically and mentally that these players might be under you know we have to look after ourselves and I'm sorry it's a competitive business but we just go there and win the game first and that's certainly how I would start the game what frustrates me so much look at attacking options you've got so much great talent it's playing at the top level as well it's as a manager Jink Pedro just doesn't know how to fit them all in in the right 
way because it's sometimes watching them it's like it's disjointed and it really frustrates me yeah i think there's a there's elements of that robbie i, I think I, i'm not sure there's better managers than me and potentially pedro that couldn't find the best front two or three out of that list so i think what it looks to me like some of the team selections it looks like he has been struggling to decide what he wants and whether that's he's gone a little bit tried and tested at times with a Jane who, who clearly still has goals in her but you know maybe just for that level now then you know increased pace of the game I think might you know have to be used wisely but he, but he's tried you know a few I, I think that the, at the minute the ones that have impacted the front line have been Abbey Martha and I think Claire Emsley still gives you that something different. Lizzie, for me, has still got bits and pieces, but I think, yeah, again, as the, as the pace of the game continues to develop and athletically, I'm just not sure that she's going to be a regular starter. Um, and, and probably Lana, similarly, I think. Lana's goal-scoring record, to be honest, is phenomenal. But she she just... The, the other girls at the moment, for me, are just giving something a little bit different and a little bit less predictable. But I... I I struggle with the same thing, Robbie, is to know, if I'm honest, I'm not sure which two or three, depending on your system, that, that I would start with. So it's um, it, it's tricky. Before we move away from the Scotland chat, we've got to ask you, we've got to go around and ask for predictions for the game. And I'll start with you, Kenny. I'll go for a 2-1 Scotland. Fingers crossed, 2-1 Scotland. What are you saying, Grant? Uh, well, I was on the same, I think. So I'll go 2-0 to make it different. Clean sheet. I like it. I'm going to go that we're going to go there. We're going to get the job done, and we're going to. It's all got to click. I'm going to go a three-one victory in Poland against Ukraine. So here's hoping Pedro, Martinez, Loza, and the girls can do that, get the victory, and put us one step closer to that World Cup playoffs. Earlier this week, Robbie and Ratti spoke to London-based Ukrainian football journalist Andrew Todos, who kindly took the time to give us his thoughts and insights on Friday's match. Yeah, this game's pretty big, to say the least. Not only from a footballing sense. Obviously, Ukraine has got two games in hand on Scotland and four games left to play. So if they don't win this particular game against Scotland, then it's probably their chances of making even the playoffs for the World Cup uh, a tiny fraction, a uh, tiny possibility in general. Aside from the football, uh, obviously it's a massive game for women's football, but also the extension of what we've seen from the men's game over the past sort of few weeks, when obviously when Ukraine were playing against Scotland, Wales and in the Nations League too, this is another platform where the footballers are able to extend the fact that, extend the stories that are going on between the war, the fact that a lot of them have fled, a lot of them have been playing in Europe etc and to continue the story that ukraine is still fighting ukraine is still a country ukraine can be represented on the global footballing stage and it will be very important from that perspective so from the ukraine perspective who are the players to look out for from that squad oh i'd probably go for um obviously the uh, female shevchenko per se um apanashchenko uh, she will probably be anywhere, you know, playing around centre defensive mid to possibly as a sweeper centre back. Um, slightly unpredictable where exactly she'll fit into the team, but she's got Ukraine's most goals and Ukraine's most caps um, in the current squad. 
So she's very much a veteran. I think this will be a, some of her final chance to play at a World Cup. So I think that she will be taking that um, very, very seriously. Um, elsewhere in the team, attacking midfielder can play on the wing as well. Uh, Ovdi Chuk, formerly player of uh, Atletico Madrid. However, she's since been playing for Zhitlerbud in Ukraine, Zhitlerbud 1, and then obviously since the war began, she's transferred to Fomget in Turkey. Uh, had an okay into the season, um, one to look out for. She'll be trying to create a lot of um, the chances for, for the forwards, who most likely will be Nicole Kozlova, who has been playing for FC Herger in Denmark. They won, obviously, the Dan Danish title. Um She's sort of her first European challenge as she's been playing in Canada for most of her life, um, playing ca uh, Canadian uh, and in uh, an American football. So it, it will be interesting to see. She'll be probably the danger centre forward, trying to get in the goals, to, um, mainly in and around the box. So, yeah, I think Ukraine, Ukraine will be up for this one and especially... The fact that a lot of the players have been given this unique chance of playing abroad. So prior to the invasion in February, I think five of like the 26 um, women's squad would have been playing abroad. Now, I think more or less 99% of the squad play abroad with like just one player still based in a Ukrainian club and they've not really been playing much. So it will be very much interesting to see how that new dynamic has added, uh, how the sort of the foreign influences of different coaching techniques and all that kind of stuff will have impacted on the team. Because obviously prior to that, a lot of the team played domestically in Ukraine. So Zhitlerbud 1, Zhitlerbud 2, and that's where they would have played for the majority of the past few years. Obviously, Zhitlerbud won actually quite a strong side. They played in the Champions League um, earlier on last autumn. So it's kind of unpredictable to see where they've gone since since the wars obviously broke out. But I'm sure that the the foreign influence will have had a positive impact on them. I think the only thing just to take a take a note of compared to sort of the men's team. The women have been able to play since February uh, for the most part, but just obviously since the women's um, summer leagues have ended at you know, the end of May or mid-May, a lot of them probably haven't played competitive football for the past month. So it would just be getting that fitness uh, back up to track ahead of, ahead of this game against Scotland. As for the crowd, um, it will be interesting because uh, Zhezhov, obviously, as you mentioned, it's nearer to the border with Ukraine well it's in Poland there's a lot of Ukrainian diaspora there's a lot of Ukrainian refugees in Poland at the moment so we'll see sadly the interest in the women's game isn't as pronounced as it is in the UK you know in comparison so that will be something to look into but obviously with the added impetus on how important it is to see Ukrainian representation on a global sporting stage on a global uh, media stage to say the least I think there will be some hopefully um, some crowd gathering on a Friday evening I mean 8.15 local time hopefully it will get a, a decent amount of people to come even a few locals from Poland as well where um, I think the women's game is slightly more developed than it is in Ukraine from a, a popularity standpoint so yeah certainly hope that it will maybe you know, inspire a few people to come out and see, give a bit of support, um, even from those that don't regularly watch um, the women's game.
So obviously we, we, we talked about earlier on, Grant, you were kind of explaining where we were off here, your sort of role at St. Johnson. So give us a little bit more of what, what you've been doing in the summer, what your sort of role at St. Johnson is. Yeah, so my, my, my role there obviously as well as managing the, the, the women's team is I do a bit of crossover work with our um, Youth Pathway Partnership Club, uh, Genefield. So I do a bit of coaching um, early mornings one week to just try and develop some of the younger players there. The ones really that have been doing well at their, their age group games and stuff. Um, I'll go down and observe and watch the training sessions because obviously the first team aren't in and, and the, the youth system is still doing the summer league thing. So they've, they've continued to play. I've, I've not managed to catch as many games as I would have liked. But, you know, getting, getting my eyes on some of the talent at the... In, in the path within the pathway has been quite important. I felt I, th- I feel like before I joined the club, that it's not to say there was no connection, but I, I feel like heads of academy, first team managers. I, I truly believe that being visible is quite important to your young players. Um, now whether your players ten, twelve, or eighteen is almost irrelevant. I think that they need to know that um, as they progress through the gene field pathway. And there's this thing that sits alongside it of St Johnston women that they need to know there's a real connection there. Um, so I've just tried to develop relationships with them. I coupled in, you know, things like organising our Player of the Year night. Uh, I don't know who does that at other clubs these days, but I've never had to do that before. Um, I've taken part in it, but never had to really organise. So doing things like that, try, trying to make, um, bring in some revenue for the team, um, you know, by fundraising, by gaining sponsorships. Um, is the kind of behind the scenes bit that I do, and and some administrative work for the for the women's team and for the youth academy. Which, if I'm honest, I've almost done none of so far. Um, <laughs> so many things that just took control with the with the women's side and the, and the youths that I've really focused a lot of my energy on that. So yeah, in, in fairness to St Johnston, I think at the the level they were performing before I came in, it's quite a big commitment from the club to put a full time person. You know, even if it is a little bit of a diverse role to put a, a, a full-time person in on the women's programme. Well, we've seen the pictures on Twitter of the night out, so I think you did well there, so well done. When you come into St Johnston, um, I mean, there was a, I'm sorry, I, I would, well, I would say anyway, there was an improvement in performances and results. What was your plan to sort of implement there when you went in there? What was your sort of changes you wanted to make? Do you know, um, I think because I'd been obviously in the league above and a wee bit removed from it, if I'm honest, Kenny, I wasn't 100% sure or set on where I was going uh, when I first went in because I, I genuinely had no idea what I was inheriting. All I could see was their points total and their goals scored and goals against and some of the results. You know, I was aware of a handful of players, but certainly not the squad. Um, so mm-hmm. I had to do a bit of learning. I just on the job and trying to break it down a little bit to keep it really simple for them. And, you know, probably a couple of stages during the season, I maybe started to make it a little bit more complicated again, forgetting that there's a slight difference in the, the kind of technical capabilities and know-how, sometimes sometimes just game know-how of players at that level. And that's no disrespect to the girls because I'm, I'm incredibly fond of them in such a short space of time. But I think once it got too complicated, we pulled it back again, made it quite simple. But within a few weeks, all we really wanted to do was catch a team above us. And as strange as that may sound, we were in the end, uh, I think, equal points with Kilmarnock in fourth spot. So fifth and goal difference, which is where we were when I took over. And you kind of think, oh, that felt a bit deflating, you know. But I think at the, I think back at the time, we were something like 12 or 14 points behind Kilmarnock. And, and we thought, is it realistic to catch them? Well, that's got to be our first target. And then there was a couple of points where we ended finding ourselves, 
you know, six points off a second and the way fixtures ran and, and, and mm-hmm. teams taking points off each other. Can it looked as if we fell away. We never really felt we did as a team. So yeah, our, our main objective at the start was just to, just you know, the girls had gone through quite a difficult time and it was really just settling them down, making the game simple and giving them a wee bit more belief than, than they probably previous had for, for, a, for a few months. You know, it, it was it was really strange, and and I, and I had a, I spent a day with uh, Robbie Nielsen one day when I was Hearts women's manager a number of years ago now. Um, I think in his first time at, at Hearts, and he described uh, the the season that they came up and won the championship. He described having just you know he had his vision, he knew what he wanted from his team, he knew the players he wanted to recruit. He'd got them in. The first two games of the season in the championship were Rangers and Hibs. So in that season, they were all in there together. And to this day, I've carried it with me that he, you know, whatever his plan was, whatever his vision was, he just needed a little bit of luck those first two games to then transfer the belief that he had onto the players and they would start believing. And honestly, I just thought of it immediately. My very first game going down to Glasgow Women, who were sitting not that far away from United at the time, you know, right up at the top end of the league. My first game really... Hadn't seen the players in a match. Thought right, okay, how am I gonna how am I gonna set this up and play it? Tried not to change too much. Change one wee thing. Had to change it back to what they knew within the game. And we came away from there for, with a draw. Now I can honestly, wholeheartedly tell you that draw was nothing to do with what I did in the week or two leading into it. I think it was only the, only a week actually, maybe two. But the players just had a bit of dig and fight about them and I recognised a real togetherness in the group. Now, you'll always get faction, you'll always get a couple that are more sociable with others and whatnot, but in the main, very, very together. And they fought for that result and we came away with a one-all draw, I think it was. And I thought, OK, right, that's no bad. And there's a few eyebrows probably getting raised at that point. Now, to a lesser extent, we, we went down to Glasgow the week later and we beat Queen's Park, who were below us. But within two games, we had almost we had doubled our points tally. So they'd gone seven or eight or nine matches and accumulated four points. I've gone in three weeks later. We've got four points, and I don't mean that to sound like I've gone in like it was me. Yeah. Like, I, like I just said, I did nothing to get to win us the point in that first game. The players did it, but myself and my assistant coach Murdo, who, who I've grown you know a good bond with as well, we kind of looked at each other, and you know I was the new guy. He'd been there a little bit beforehand, and and you know within two two three weeks we doubled the points tally. Now we'd gone from four points to eight points. So let's be realistic. It wasn't it wasn't groundbreaking, but you could it was almost tangible. And I remember I remember that thing with, with my discussion with Robbie about you just sometimes need that break. And I think I got it within I got I got it in the first week, and I think in the second week because we had maybe potentially an easier fixture, we won it straight away the girls were bought in and, and from that point forward I thought right okay this is going to go well and, and I think we finished certainly the last couple of months of the season we really really looked like a football team a proper football team that was together knew what it was doing knew what we wanted to do um, yeah they, they so I saw the character in week one saw the fight in them and then week two we won a game that I thought on paper we should have won but probably a few months previous we wouldn't have necessarily won it Aye, it was it was a good start yeah, I'd just like to lead on from that when you say about togetherness and good end to the season, or good, like, from you coming in, how you progressed and got more points and everything. I can't say I watched your Stockton side much last season, but when I went to that game at Tannadice with 726 fans in attendance, it was their trophy day, there was a lot of pressure on Dungeon United and first Johnston to go 1-0 up where Nicole Carter put in them head after 12 minutes for a brilliant chip. And mm. just that whole, I know in the end you ended up 
losing the game, but just, I don't know if it's the word to use, but I don't know yet, we rattled at times, and that was probably due to the nature of your players never stopped running, never gave up, kept chasing players down, and I really, it was an enjoyable game to watch, and I enjoyed the way St. Johnson played, so it's a credit just... Yeah, honestly, we, we felt, we genuinely felt in the, the previous couple of games against United, we were well beaten, we hadn't really given a good account of ourselves, so we were a wee bit disappointed, but in that game, you know, we, we, we kind of played it, I felt we played it with no fear, we played it like, and, and I think we'd said that to them beforehand, to go and play it like it's the last game you'll ever play, and give everything you've got, and again, almost with no restrictions, if you can if you can attack when you can attack. Now I think the way the game went, United definitely deserved to win the game. There's no doubt in my mind about that. But when we were two one down, blocked, we tackled, we chased, and then to get a reward when we equalised late in the game, I thought, okay, we'll maybe fluke this one here. And and, yeah. and we would have taken it. You know, the the, the, the excitement that we'd how how kind of committed <coughs> we'd been to the cause was really, really good. So it was really deflating to lose to that goal, I have to say, but do you know, I, I think it. I think from what you saw on that night with the players' commitment, they have 100% bought into everything that we've tried to say to them. They really, really have. And as I say, I don't, I don't know that personally I've shown any miracle cures. I think myself and Murdo have worked really, really well. We've been together in what we've been trying to do with the girls. And, and yeah, it's a credit to them the way they, they finished, especially in that game. Well, that's what I was just what you sort of said there, Robbie. I was going to say because I was at that Butterbeer official game at, at, at home. Oh, what yeah. game that was? Remember, it was it was one each, and it was yeah. uh, your, your goalie. The, that was the best save I've seen all season. But out of all the, you know, we go to a lot of SWPL one games, and I would say that was probably one of the best games I've been to all season. You know, for end to end, Matt. You know, for the way the game went, end to end, and just uh, it was a fantastic game. And that's got to be a credit to you guys and the players. But we've had a couple of St. George's players on the podcast, and they always talk about the togetherness of the squad and how close they are and. I mean, that again has got to be a credit to you guys as well. So well done. <laughs> ah, cheers, cheers. Uh, you know, I'm, uh, there's many ways of uh, playing and, and carving up football, but it's I think it's it's one of my strong beliefs that you know I, I don't think I'm a better coach than anybody else in the world. I just do what I do with the best I can. But I think when you create an environment and you try and have the togetherness in the group, then everyone shares a common belief and. and you're maxing out what you can do with your capabilities at that point and, and that's all you can really ask anyone to do in any role it's huge credit to the players because they've been they've been terrific since I joined the club but I suppose the big question is because we had the girls talking about it in the podcast how do you find the playlist before the game because they're telling us about the crazy music you play some of it's honking I'm not going to lie <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's atrocious Alex Moody she's been on your podcast I know oh that. yeah <laughs> Honestly, motivational song for the start of a match. Celine Dion warbling away. <laughs> Honestly, awful. I hope she's listening. So when when do the girls come back to training and stuff? What's the sort of structure? So this time, uh, the girls are back next Tuesday, a week tonight. We've we've had them at the gym with no break right through. One of the things we didn't have last year was uh, any kind of strength and conditioning programme. So we, we got them on that just at the tail end of the year, or tail end of the season, rather. Um um, so we've kept them going at that just one night a week over the, the kind of close season um, n not on the pitch at all um, so they'll come back next Tuesday and, and we'll start again Something that we discussed uh, I think it's been discussed before is you know on international breaks why not have when the men's teams are international breaks why not have the big games played then and played in the stadiums to try and get the fans in I mean you think something like that would be a good idea? Yeah I mean I think I think one of the parts of the evolution is still there is obviously increased buy-in from the predominantly male-based 
uh, club. So a Rangers or Celtic or Hearts, you know, they've all got women's teams now ourselves at St John's. Now that I work within a football club, is it unfortunately, is it history? Is it just the way things are? I think that the predominant producer, focal point, producer of revenues and fan bases is the male game. We still need to join up some dots to say, well, you know, your, your example is absolutely perfect to say, well, and, and, you know, to a lesser degree, we tried to do it on our social media. I said to the guys at the club, look, it's the international break. There's no, no game for the for the guys this weekend. Get it out on the socials to say, get your Saints fixed, get down to the women's game. Season ticket holders will get in for free. To, well, you were there yourself, Kenny, at the, the Riverside Stadium. Nice little facility, mm-hmm. really welcoming, kind of old school little stadium. Get yourselves down. We got a little bounce in the crowd a couple of times, I think, because of that. But that's me as one guy doing it with one media at one football club, which is, you know, a smaller level football club. And, and, and ourselves as Saints women are, are still in the second tier. Those ideas have to come to the fore and they have to come to the fore really, really quickly for us to continue to improve things and grow it um, and increase the exposure. But unfortunately, there's still a bit of evolution to do with it, with these institutional buildings that are football clubs right now and I get it you know I'm, I've I've been in male sport I'm, I now are heavily um, into women's sport I've spent all my coaching career bar you know a season and a half or something in, in uh, women's football women and girls football I will back it to the hilt I think there's so many positives you get great matches like our Barham Your game match up at Tannadice I, I maintain to this day as, as much as it hurt me at the time the, the the match that my Hibs team played against Glasgow City in the Scottish Cup final at Tyne Castle was probably the one of the best matches I've been involved in, player or coach. Um, I thought the two teams were on that day were unbelievable. And again, that end-to-end product that you want to see, goals, last-minute winners, it had everything. So it's just how we keep pushing and banging that message out and unfortunately there's just still a lot of people we're heavily reliant I think in the women's game still which is unfortunate but we need to be realistic about where we are that we still need to push and prod and and, and you know try and expose the game the product to the wider market and we need to use the male clubs for that and and you know you you imagine if 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 it <laughs> I can't understand, for example, why is there not been an old firm game? Now, I hate using the two examples because there's so much more football out mm. in this earth other than the, the big two. But why is there not been a female game at, at Ibrox or Parkhead for an old firm game? Let's reschedule it to when there's an international break. You pack the place out. Yeah, exactly. So it might be for the wrong reasons. That's why it's probably yeah. a bad example. But mm. if it's a, an Aberdeen or Dundee United, let's do a new firm one. A slightly smaller stadium. Can we can we fill it with twenty five thousand? Oh, amazing. If we get it right, we can. But there's no reason why they can't, in my opinion, either. Like well, I've said, this in Spain, Barcelona uh, sold out the new camp. Yeah. yeah, and but you look at this season. I've got to just touch on that when you say we need to go get the men's clubs involved. There has been record crowds at Tannadice, Easter Road, Ibrox, Celtic Park, Tyne Castle. So it. We are seeing that progression, but I do totally agree there is a lot more. And it is not just, oh, because they've prodded along the fans saying, oh, yeah, it's free, just go, go, go. We want people to be going along because they actually do like the product on show. I think yeah. you are gradually seeing that develop and change, but it's something that will, it's not going to happen overnight, is it? 
Yeah, exactly. It's it's going to take time, and I don't think we need to be beholden to existing people on the, the male side of things. But maybe just need the leg up from time to time because you're right. The the crowds have been improving. Making a spectacle of certain games works. Um, let's just do more of it. Let's do it joined up a bit more. Why is it always our side pushing? You know, where is the now? There maybe is an example of it, but maybe more clubs just putting their arm around the whole package, their youth pathway, their women's side, and bringing the whole lot together. Which I, I don't know that that happens at as many clubs as it should. Yeah, no, that, 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 that's brilliant. Then we'll, sort of, we'll, we'll finish off just obviously St Johnston moving forward this season. I mean, what is the aim for the team? Will it be sort of going for promotion, I'd imagine? Yeah, I think realistically, I, I, one of these guys, I think, who prefers to keep quiet and no shout too much about their aspirations. But I think realistically, in a, in a league of seven, where the top two have, have left and we were equal fourth on points, I suppose, fifth in goal difference, you've got to assume that the teams coming from the leagues below are going to have to recruit really well, which I see Montrose doing a lot of. They're going to all have to do a bit to come in and challenge. So if we can stay strong, fit, retain most of our squad, maybe add one or two, you know, I don't think we should be ashamed to say that we've got a real ambition to you know, push for promotion, be that as league winners or, or playoff spots or whatever. I think it's a realistic target, but it doesn't mean that we're going to get there without a heck of a lot of work and, and um, practice and yeah, ultimately putting it all into performances. I think it's something we have to aspire to. You know, if we if we did the same mantra as we did when I first came in, myself and Murdo talking about putting the catching the team above and then maybe catching the team above that. Well, if we do that this time, and, and, and all of us just kind of move up the, 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 the placings. So Burham, you're at top. Ourselves and Kelly are next in line. Um, we need to be pushing to challenge. Win all your games, man, that's it. <laughs> Simple as win that. Them all, win them all 1-0 <laughs> and we're there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, no, Grant, thank you very much for joining us. Great to have you on and great to obviously get your insight and uh, your, your experience. It was a pleasure. You can listen to the Anyone's Game podcast on all your usual channels. Uh, follow us, like us, share us on Twitter. And uh, Grant, good luck for the season ahead. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Yeah, Thanks good luck. a lot.